My name is Jack Oatway. And I'm Jay Oatway, and welcome to Like Dragon, Like Sun, the podcast where two generations of D&D players sit around the table and talk about shopping. Shopping, downtime activities. You finished your quest. The Tarrasque is defeated. Now what are you going to do with all that downtime? This is a D&D podcast, uh, if you were unaware. Um... And we are talking about fifth edition rules. Fifth edition rules. If you That's folks a are just tuning in today, if you're a brand new D and D player, and you're like, "What's wow, Tarask? What's a Tarask?" It's all right. Don't look it up. It'll be fun when your DM springs it on you. Well, um, I don't know about. It. I, I think you should leave your group. If it your has DM nothing to do with to shopping. On you. Today we are looking at all the things you can do when you have nothing to do. Yeah, that's right. Your, your DM has said the three words, you have five years before your group meets back up. That every group hears, I'm sure. Nobody ever <laughs> says that. I think actually handling downtime as a DM is, is an overlooked element of gameplay. And I think it's something that players, players long for. But also in terms of scope of the game, it's a bit funny because sometimes if you've been playing for months and months and months together, your characters in world may have only gone a few weeks. Yeah, well, it could have been years for your group. Yeah, I mean, in real life, it can take ages to get through a whole season, like a whole like quarter of a year, like three months in game could take two years out of game. Easy. I mean, even the highly produced, organized critical role, like was like forgetting the hiatus they took was like six months before they like passed through like yeah, well, a the, month of game time. The current season that uh, the campaign they're playing, campaign two, uh, they've only been together what like less than a year. I think it's been more than a year at this point. Well, they've been together. Uh, it feels like it. But in actual game time, it's probably less. And that's the same with most campaigns. And so the trick is at some point throughout this, um, even if it doesn't seem logical that characters who've only been training, uh, like you're adventuring for a few months, um, should then have some time to, to sharpen the saw, whatever yeah. that might be. Um, and we're, today we're going to go through some of the various activities that you can do in some yeah, downtime. We're looking at multiple sources here. We're pulling from all corners of the 5th edition world. We're looking at the Player's Handbook, we're looking at Xanathar's Guide, and we're also looking at the DM's Guides in here. DM's Guide. And, and every single adventure book has got a downtime section. Yeah, exactly. If you have, uh, perhaps you're playing Out of the Abyss or Ghost of Salt Saltmarsh, both two campaign settings in the, the 5e world. Consider perhaps reading up on what you can do during your downtime as a player so that when your DM springs that you have two weeks to do whatever you want in this city, you know, what can I do in this city? You know, maybe flip through Xanathar's guide or the DM's guide or the player's handbook 
or like we said, a, a ghost of Saltmarsh. Maybe there's something you can do, maybe a little bit of mystery investigation. That's exactly what we're going to get to uh, today. Which one did you want to start with? I'm thinking I would actually like to start with an unusual source, something that a lot of uh, players and DMs may not have seen, uh, though you've likely heard about this thing called the Adventures League. Right. Uh, the Adventures League is a standard so that people can make up characters and sit down with DMs and people they don't even know, often at a convention or at a space where time is limited and everybody just wants to be able to play by the same rules. And you can run these characters uh, from game to game to game. You can move them around, jump in and out of things. And on with the characters like that, they're very standard characters. They typically don't have much in the way of, you know, homebrew in them. In fact, they've got no homebrew in them. Everything on these characters is really standard rules as written. But one of the things that the adventures in the Adventure League rewards each player character with is downtime. It's actually given to the character, the PC, as, as a reward. And you get a little adventure log sheet that you keep track of things like your gold, your downtime, your renown, your magic items, uh, adventure notes, what sort of downtime activity you might have done, uh, and what sort of session number and things you're on. And that really lets everybody sort of know where the character stands compared to other ones and makes sure that you can slot in with the right level of other PCs and sort of going on. But it's really interesting. So you look in, I'm in running a, a Curse of Strahd adventure right now, and there's an Adventure League add-on for the Curse of Strahd uh, setting, which I actually include in my game, which is a, a hag named Jetney Greenteeth. Because in every Adventure League setting, you need to offer players an ability to purchase healing or restoration spells or things like that, to remove curses and even a little bit of a raised dead in case you need to get somebody back into the game. And so she plays that role in it. But she's got two costs when you go to visit her. She's got a monetary cost and then a downtime cost. So in some ways, there's in the Adventurous League, there's two economies at play that most D&D players, if you've not done an Adventurous League thing, are unaware of this idea that, oh, something could cost me some of my downtime. Um, and actually, I don't know if that it's something else that I've seen anywhere else, but Jenny Greenteeth can definitely suck uh, away at your downtime that you've earned, uh, which would really suck if you had been saving up to invest your downtime in things. But what exactly is this downtime? Right. Well, I mean, a reason I start with that is the idea of handing out downtime to a player because it is a nebulous thing. The books talk about, oh, things you could do with downtime, and it really is, like, stretches on. You could spend years doing something, but how much time do you have? Mm -hmm. And as a DM, sort of thinking a little bit along the lines of eventually, if he's like, okay, everybody gets 10 days of downtime or two weeks of downtime and spend it how you want to spend it. You can work towards goals, there's a lot of downtime activities that are going to take way more than that, but 
if you get a couple weeks between each of sort of episodes, maybe at sort of times where you've leveled up or things like that, you can work towards investing that downtime into learning a new language, doing some research, finding a magic item, etc. And we'll go through some of those cool things that you can do with that. But I think my favorite source out of the three of them is Xanathar's Guide, but I do want to start with the Player's Handbook just because of its sort of simplistic general idea of what is downtime. So, downtime in the Player's Handbook, you can find it on uh, what page? Uh, it's in chapter chapter 8, uh, the adventuring section, and it starts about page, I'm thinking, um, between adventures, 186. 186, page 186, downtime activities. Between adventures, the DM might ask you what your character is doing during his or her downtime, or there. Periods of downtime can vary in duration, but each downtime activity requires a certain number of days to complete before you gain any benefit, and at least eight hours of each day must be spent on the downtime activity for the day to count. The days do not need to be consecutive. If you have more than the minimum amount of days to spend, you can keep doing the same thing for a longer period of time or switch to a new downtime activity. Downtime activities other than the ones presented below are possible. If you want to uh, your character to spend their downtime performing activity not covered here, discuss it with your DM. So a lot of, hey, you know, your DM may give you a supplement of a bunch of downtime things they could do. Maybe they have a homebrew world, and if they're super, like, crazy, like, spending 24 hours every day working on it, they'll hand you a downtime sheet of what you can do in this new town. You know? Now, but, there's, there's a cost to, to a, a few of these things as well. The... Uh, when you set your character up, you may have seen in, in the description section, especially if you're using D&D Beyond, that there's a, a lifestyle cost choice that you can make in there. And maybe you just you've, you've chosen it based on where you sort of feel your character is on the socioeconomic sort of spectrum, what kind of person they are. But that actually has real effects on your bank account in downtime activities for every day of downtime it's going to cost you whatever you've set that at so if it's at one gp and you said okay yeah we're going to spend four weeks you know you're looking at 28 gp uh where somebody else with it set at one silver is only looking at you know, less than three GPs. So uh, make sure you've got the cash to cover it. Otherwise, your lavish lifestyle may uh, may suddenly come to an abrupt halt as the innkeeper kicks you out for failing to pay your bills. Yeah, exactly. Like perhaps you're an aristocratic, I believe, is the, the highest tier. Yeah, if you're yeah. a noble, it's like 10 GP every day. <laughs> Hopefully you've got somebody else paying that bill for you. Exactly. But... Perhaps you take up practicing a profession. Yeah, one of the downtime activities that you can do is make more money. Simply just practice what your profession if you, is. If you've got nothing else to do, especially if you've got like a fighter or a barbarian type character and you're like, and the DM's like, okay, you can do whatever you want for the next few days. And you're like, uh, don't know what to do with myself. All I do is adventure and fight. Well, good news. That could also be your downtime. <laughs> exactly. Pit fighting is an option. 
pit fighting, although it has better rules for pit fighting in Xanathar's Guide. Xanathar's Guide. This one's quite vague. I imagine this more as a, you're, you work at a, a tavern, perhaps sure. cleaning kitchen, like, you know, kitchen areas and tables and serving people. It's, you know, a modest work, you know, humble work. Uh, you can work between adventures allowing you to maintain a modest lifestyle without having to pay one gold piece per day. Yeah, the DM's uh, Guide also suggests you could be running a business. Yeah, but that's a whole other thing. This benefit lasts as long as you continue to practice your profession. If you're a member of an organization that can provide gainful employment, such as a temple or thieves' guild, you earn enough to support a comfortable lifestyle instead. If you have proficiency a, in maybe the perform- if you're a monk, you uh, you set up a little uh, martial arts training <laughs> center for maybe. people who want to, like you know. Send their kids in to learn a little kung fu. This part I don't get as much. If you have proficiency in the performance skill and put your performance skill to use during your downtime, you can earn enough to support a wealthy lifestyle instead. Yeah, like musicians back in the day, they were Definitely rolling in it. Definitely not wealthy. <laughs> they were rolling in it. No, compared to today, it's so hard to make ends meet as a musician, you know, but back then, who without like... Without Netflix or Disney or That's anybody true. like that to turn in, tune into, it, true, actually. without HBO, you, uh, you, if you were a performer, you, you, you made the money. You made the coin. There's no, not, not right. a lot of middlemen either. I mean, maybe the tavern or inn took in a few bucks of it, you know, mm-hmm. part of it as well. But if you could get a proper like tour set up the band, oh, you could be huge. Huge. Yeah, it's one of the simpler of the ones listed here. And I think a lot of these are actually kind of expanded upon in other ones. And we'll sort of touch on the expanded versions, but there's something here that I don't really see listed in other things. Maybe it's in the DMG, uh, but recuperating. You can use downtime between adventures to recover from a debilitating injury, disease, or poison. After three days of downtime spent recuperating, you can make a DC 15 constitution saving throw. On a successful save, you can choose to end uh, one of the following effects. Uh, you can end an effect that prevents you from regaining hit points, or for the next 24 hours, you can advantage on saving throws against one disease or poison currently affecting you. Not the greatest use of three days, but... Well, if the DM's using lingering injuries, then, mm. you know, he'll have planned, he or she may have planned, then for you to be able to spend some of those downtime days recovering from that. Uh, and then once you've done healing up for your disease, what does everybody do? They go out partying. And for partying, there's a section here called carousing. It's in uh, all of the books, uh, Xanathar's uh, and the DM Guide. I don't think it's in Player's Handbook. It's not. But it is definitely in both Xanathar's and uh, the DMG. And carousing is carousing's a lot of fun. In fact, in one of the campaigns, the campaign where I play the uh, Furbolg Scout, uh, they had a week of downtime and he spent it carousing, hoping to gain more insight information into, you know, what's been, you know, going on in the, the capital. Um, however, it, uh, I mean, it didn't work out too, too bad. He didn't really gain any contacts, which kind of sucks. And he had his gold bag, which frankly was pretty empty, uh, stolen from him. And, uh, and that actually became quite a funny plot point because we now think it was actually stolen by one of the NPCs in our party. And it's just like a bit of a j- joke. And at some point, maybe, or maybe not, they'll give it back. <laughs> um, but yeah, carousing is definitely one of those ones where there's, it ranges from you winding up in jail for 1d4 days uh, to you getting married, to you getting making enemies, 
um, to you making a small fortune of 46 times 10 GP. It's not bad. Um, you know, but even better off that is the idea that you've built some sort of new contact or gain some sort of information. And I think that's in in the uh, Xenothar's Guide. That's sort of what it's all about, you know, at least carousing. It's all about gaining contacts. Uh, and Xanathar, I think, does uh, the best job of it out of the three books. Yeah, because it's got a has, lower class, middle yeah. class, and upper class. And, and it really sort of divides it well. Okay, are you perhaps a noble? Are you a, a wealthy spellcaster? Are you just um, interacting with townsguard or local folk? You know, are you a folk here type thing? Maybe you're only interacting in lower class establishments when you're performing your carousing. Or maybe you are able to perhaps put on a disguise and enter an upper class carousing sort of area. Um, and the thing I also like a lot about Xanathar's Guide is that it offers complications that might involve rivals for all of the possible things that you can do. But I still wanted to finish our discussion on Player's Handbook before we move on to some of the other more complicated systems that they introduce, just because it gives an interesting base. I think researching is fairly simple. It, co- it costs a little bit of money, but it's things like making investigation and persuasion to uh, perhaps gain information. I think a lot of these are things people may have done without even realizing they were rules. You know, someone might have been, all right, you spend the night in the town, and sure, you can go to the li- local library and research something, why not? And they might not even realize they were giving players downtime, you know? I think it's just something to consider um, as a DM and player is that, okay, we're resting in a town for a couple of days. You know, we don't need to always be on the move. What can we, like, do here? You know, and I think that the Player's Handbook offers a small look into what you could do, but I kind of want to skip the rest of that it has to offer because a lot of it is repeated in uh, a way that's much more concise or yeah. much more well so, thought So the next out. section in there is training. And that, I think, that's a huge boon to player characters. Mm. The downtime, offer of downtime training is a way for you to pick up new proficiencies, pick up new languages. Um, it means, you know, a, a character that's always wanted to be able to wield a battle axe but maybe can't, suddenly can. Or if you've always wanted to speak gnomish or whatever, um, you suddenly start, you know, you sign up for a, you know, Duolingo course and next thing you know, 10 weeks later, you've got a new language. Uh, so some of the training and research stuff is based around sort of 10 week framework. Mm. And as a DM, you can sort of try and think, okay, well, that's, that's interesting. Well, uh, 10 work weeks. 10 work weeks. Which is different from a week. Okay. So but we'll say 10 work weeks of, of stuff that... You can reward players by a, you sort of think, okay, well, we'll have, you know, between them leveling up, say, between level three and eight, right? We'll give them five breaks in there around sort of each leveling up area where they gain, also gain two weeks of downtime activity. So by the time they hit level eight, they can also have earned their way towards a new, you know, training something new if they want. Mm. Yeah, uh, I think that we're sort of manically flipping between three books here, but I'm not sure what the DMG says. I haven't actually really looked at the DMG, but for Xanathar's Guide, training uh, doesn't actually include 
weapon proficiencies. That isn't a part of what you can be trained in, but I think it just it works in such a way that a DM could very much by very well just allow that you learn a weapon, like how to use a specific weapon. It's no different in many ways from learning how to use a specific tool, you know? I mean, even the photo, it shows a, a creature or dragonborn uh, learning how to shoot a bow and arrow, you know? I, I see no issues with uh, letting a player gain proficiency with a specific type of weapon. Um, it's on page 134 if you're looking for what I'm referencing. But I do want to talk a little bit about the idea of arrival, because a lot of these downtime activities revisited in the Xanathar's Guide uh, talk about a rival. Now, what is a rival? Rival are NPCs. So check out our previous episode if you want to know how to make a cool NPC who oppose the characters and make their perspective felt whenever the characters are engaging in downtime. A rival might be a villain you have featured in past adventures or plan to use in the future. Rivals can also include good or neutral folk who are at odds with the characters, whether they're uh, whether because they have uh, opposing goals or simply dislike one another. The cultist of Orcus who plans the characters have foiled, the ambitious merchant prince who wants to rule the city with an iron fist, and the nosy high priest of Helm who is convinced the characters are up to no good are all examples of rivals. The rival's agenda changes over time, though. The characters engage in downtime activities only between adventures. Uh, the rivals rarely rest, continuing to spin plots and work against the characters even when the characters are off doing something else. Um, so these are perhaps less evil villains in many ways. Um, creating a rival, in essence, a rival is someone, uh, somewhat specialized NPC. You can use chapter four of the Dungeon Master's Guide, which I believe we went through at, at length, to build a new NPC for this purpose, or pick one from your current cast of supporting characters and embellish that NPC as described below. It's possible for the characters to have two or three rivals at a time, with each, uh, having a separate agenda. At least one should be a villain, but the others might be a neutral or good, um conflicts with those rivals might be a social or political rather than manifesting as direct attacks so even your players could just be wandering through the street as a purple worm burrows out through the, the floor underneath them and the the mad mage says <laughs> you fell into my trap or something like that yeah it's important i think though to, to recognize that rivals in downtime activity uh as you or you interact with here um it's not supposed to create downtime activity isn't the same as doing adventures and encounters so downtime activity should be the sort of thing that yeah you can have some narrative talk around it you might you might even involve the characters in having to do some training before they can gain a level um if you've got a monk character or something there's actually rules in the dm's guide for you know how long between levels it just as a guide to sort of you know what it might cost or things for you to spend some time at a temple or if you're a cleric you might have to even do it any place where you sort of feel like you know the character's skills maybe in your world don't just suddenly pop into power when they you know suddenly magically level up but rather they have to go through a training phase or something and and yeah maybe rivals could offer complications to that um, they could slow you down your training or they could interrupt your carousing or they could you know be become slightly problematic so that adds a little layer of conflict to your downtime but at the same time it's it means to keep it from just becoming a completely boring shopping episode and making it a little bit more dynamic but it doesn't need to have it doesn't have to have you know roll for initiative type vibe to it but it very well could 
I, I suppose. <laughs> uh, read the read. If you've got Xanathar's, read his. So in the Xanathar's guide to everything, Xanathar himself throughout the publication has left little notes uh, that are quite cute. And he has a little like signature, which a little is signature like a little eyeball eyeball thing, which is quite cute. But uh, they're all sort of like quirky, like alien perspectives on human things. And the and one that I think I really like this one. Read it for me. When minions come back from a mission, sometimes I send them shopping. Shopping is the thing where minions give away their stuff to other people, and other people give them different stuff. It's so strange. Xanathar's just like, like he, he, thinks, he understands that it's a reward that they somehow like shopping, but he can't understand the whole exchanging items thing of like, why would they give anything away? Hmm. If you want something else, just take it. Yeah, why not just take their stuff? Take their stuff, too. It's so strange. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is things like, you know, there's in the DM's guide uh, as a downtime activity, and this is something that uh, I have a campaign that I play in, in the Eberron campaign, are between missions, which is kind of our downtime, uh, always involves selling magic items, selling the, the, the things that we've we've come across we keep we we keep a few things that we like that you know our characters want but generally we uh we flog stuff uh for as much money as we can possibly get (laughs) and then we reinvest that back into our uh airship but back onto the idea of rivals okay sorry oh no worries i'm glad we had that little (laughs) we'll we'll come back to selling magic items in a minute um rivals i love the idea of rivals because they make they put a little bit of that um struggle in D&D so it's not just all your players can do yippee dee do whatever they want with no consequences no they still have a a villain who's messing with them or perhaps you can give them a larger amount of downtime like a month sure but over that political intrigue could be much more of a our diplomatic intrigue could be much more of a, a plot point and these events are unfolding behind the scenes that players may slowly sure. be uncovering or here, realize here, here might be an example rival interferes so i guess is was suggesting that you've got some magic items to sell and you get to market and then you can make a you could make a roll to see if did your rivals get back here with their goods to sell before you got here so suddenly the shopkeep who's like you know, he was thinking, I'm going to get top dollar for, or top coin for my, you know, uncommon magic item. Suddenly be like, ah, yeah, I just had a bunch of guys come in here. And you look, glance over and you see your rivals sort of, you know, leaving the shop with a big bag of, of, of coin. Like, yeah, I don't really need any more of those. I've sort of got enough already. And then suddenly you're like, I can't sell them to this guy. Um, and actually that there's a chart you could actually you could work that into you, you know you roll on the selling a magic item chart and if you depending how you roll it could either be anywhere from you know half the base price down to one tenth the base price um, you have to roll like you know 81 or higher on a d100 to get a good price for your your goods and perhaps you know if you didn't get a good price or maybe you could even modify this by subtracting a certain number based on how annoying your rivals are mm-hmm. so it's just like using ideas like that how to work uh the rival story 
into the weave it into the yeah, downtime. And I think there's even greater examples that Xanathar's gives you for every single sort of task, like uh, complications and the ones with little asterisks have like might involve a rival. Uh, your enemy secretly arranges to buy the item to use it against you when you're selling it. So that you sold it to this guy, but he turns it around and flips it to your rival for even more. Who then you see they have the headband of intellect against you on your next fight or whatever, you know, or summon a earth elemental using that elemental gem you sold that shopkeep uh, or a thieves guild alerted to the sale attempts to steal your item, you know, and you're on the way to deposit it and you, <laughs> you're some of your party's kidnapped and they take the item with it or whatever. Or uh, a foe circulates rumors that your item is a fake and suddenly all the shopkeepers are like, I don't want that, you know, or things like that. Um, or even the buyer's murdered before the sale is finalized. Yeah, we're meeting this guy. He's, he's, he's going to give us a, a huge amount. And you show up there and of course he's dead. And then the authorities show up right after that and they're like, what are you doing you. here? <laughs> exactly. Why do you have um, blood on your hands? I love the examples that they give for rivals in uh, Xanathar's Guide. Uh, they, have, they have an example ride, uh, rival here, Marina Rotomus. The Rotomus clan was a small but powerful family of traders in the city, but years ago they pulled up stakes and left town overnight. Marina Rotomus, the youngest child, has now returned to restore her family's prestige. In truth, the family fled because its members became afflicted by lycanthropy. They joined a clan of were-rats and delved into smuggling in a distant city, out of fear that their secret would be impossible to keep in their former home. After fighting her way to the top ranks of the were-rat clans, Marina, along with uh, a small army of followers, has returned to claim her place among the elite of her home city. She vows that if she doesn't succeed, she'll leave the city in ruins. Um, and so she wants to become the most respected, most important merchant in town. Uh, she has a small fortune of gold, and her ability... Uh, as a were-rat, alchemist, and necromancer uh, allows her to do some very nefarious things. And just she has a plan um, to discredit and ruin other merchants. Uh, she has her spies um, of were-rats you know, spy on uh, her opponents and sneak into warehouses, unleashing hordes of rats to spoil goods. Marina even victimizes a few of her own warehouses to avoid suspicion. If Marina's plans fail, she has a terrible alternative. Her knowledge of alchemy has enabled her to create a plague that she will release on the city through her rats. If she can't rule, then no one will. And so, you know, an event happens where rats become a not noticeable problem in the streets. With swarms sighted in run-down neighborhoods, folks demand that action be taken. Then in action, a caravan raid, uh, raids by goblinoids come, become more common and folk talk of a gathering militia. Marina contributes generously to the effort. Then another action, warehouses are overrun with rats, ruining uh, thousands of gold pieces worth of goods. Marina blames the city for lax efforts and pest control. And then if the players interfere, Marina sends her assassins against them. A sudden storm creates a minor flooding, washing dozens of dead, bloated, diseased rats from the sewers. Terror over the plague rips through the town, and then Marina flam uh, fans the flames of the panic, running rumors that the characters or other rivals in town are responsible for the disease, you know, and that she has suddenly become this. Uh, very villainous um, sort of antagonist uh, to yeah, the I mean, party. That, that's, that's like a whole side mission to your to your campaign. I, I mean, mean, that's all in downtime activities. I know. I, I, I'm just saying, like, if it depends as a DM what you're trying to do. If you have a story that you've got your players and on. And this could be over years. Um, and then you, during the downtime activity, this sort of stuff crops up. It could, in some ways, distract from your main story. 
uh, or it could be a, a welcome relief. Like it could be if they've been if they've been up against you know demons or things or whatever to go to suddenly Small like town. killing some rats in town, um, dealing with a you know. A, but a less do good slash, you know, villain, you know, background. Yeah. Much uh, more of a, and maybe there's ways tricky are, to pin down. Sure. But there might other be ways around it. You know, the DM's guy does have a whole section about sowing rumors as something you could do with your downtime activity. And if you've got a particularly charismatic, uh, character, a warlock or paladin or rogue or perhaps a yeah, or bard, uh, bard of some sort that, um, yeah, one of the, the, fun things you get to do is uh sow rumors and it says you know that sowing a rumor is a <laughs> sowing a rumor about an individual organization requires a number of days depending on the size of the community uh so like a city would be 66 a town 46 and a village would be 2d6 um well-placed rumors can increase the subject standing in a community or embroil someone in scandal uh, rumor needs to be simple, concrete, hard to disprove. An effective rumor also has to be believable, playing off what people want to believe about the person in question. Uh, the character must spend one GP per day to cover the cost of drinks, social appearances, and the like, and at the end of the time spent sowing the rumor, the character makes a DC 15 charisma, that's your choice of deception or, or persuasion. If you succeed, the community's prevailing attitude towards that subject shifts. So yeah, if uh, old lady rat face there is uh, is starting to get on your nerves, maybe you have other alternatives rather than direct conflict. Maybe some of your downtime activity could be spent turning the community against her. Yeah, or even during carousing, your new contacts could be, uh, you know, you could tell them that, oh, I wouldn't trust this Marina girl. She seems like she's got nefarious plans and vying for power and you should keep an eye out on her especially if you can get into an upper class uh, circle although you might even find her in that kind of environment who knows mm. um, you could have a, a chat with her face to face I do want to go through some of the stuff in Xanathar's guide um, in terms of just straight up what can you do yeah. what are the activities you can do and I would flip to page 126 of your Xenothos Guide, Chapter 2, Dungeon Master's Tools, Example Downtime Activities. First one is buying a magic item. Yep. Your classic shopping. I want to buy something. I got this gold and I'm going to spend it, you know? Yeah, well, and your DM could make this one a little bit like, instead of having to go into, you know, Pumat Soul's uh, Invulnerable Vagrant, you can, uh, you know, instead say, well, it's going to take you a while to develop the contacts and track down the uh you know track down the sort of person that might have these you know these magic items don't just sit in a shop window somewhere mm. they're you know they're in private collections or something like that and if you do that right then maybe you can you know spend 10 days or more to to acquire something that's rare yeah and i mean there's it's also great here because this is dm knowing how much to charge a player for a magic item is sometimes a bit of a tricky game to play you know as well as bartering and how like is this a good negotiation is this a good deal it's a good idea to as a dm know that and then think about how your npc knows that you know there might be a, a very like tough 
wizard who knows the exact price of, or artifice who knows the exact price of magic items because he made it. Sure. Or a it who, could be, uh, an acquirer who has yeah. no idea. He's a bumbling uh, buffoon exactly. who's just the wealthy whole, and um, owns stuff. This would be this like the traveling uh, antique road show, you know, uh, uh, cash in the attic. Basically, somebody's you know, grandma's grandma left this for somebody in a trunk, and they've just sort of dug it up and gone. And they were going to throw it out, but they thought they'd mm. uh, get it appraised. And so now it's like, wow, I don't know if you know this, but that's worth five hundred thousand gold pieces. What? <laughs> yeah. But buying Because that's what item. legendary items are worth. Mm. Purchasing a magic item requires time and money to seek out and contact people who are willing to sell items. Even then, there's no guarantee a seller will have the items uh, a character desires. Uh, and each of these in the Xanathar's Guide has resources, resolution, uh, then a couple tables, and complications, uh, which include potential complications. I actually have the digital version. I'll hand the book to you. Um, but... Uh, buying a magic item. Uh, resources. Finding a magic item to purchase requires at least one work week, five days of effort, and five, uh, 100 GP in expenses. Spending more time and money increases your chance of finding a high-quality item. Uh, resolution. A character seeking to buy a magic item makes a persuasion check to determine the quality of the seller found. The character gains a plus one bonus on the check for every work week beyond the first that is spent seeking a seller and a plus one bonus for every additional 100 GP spent on the search, up to a maximum bonus of plus 10. So let's just say, I'm just going to stop you there. Like, for, for people who are new out there, why? Why am I doing this? Because you want to get a cool magic item. Right. Right. It's like, it's when you've thought, you know, maybe you're at that point now with character builds that in your mind you're sort of thinking, man, I would be so cool... If I just had a ring of fire resistance <laughs> or a plus one bow or uh, maybe, I mean, is it something that's like, I mean, uncommon items are like kind of plus one-y sort of things. Are we sort of thinking, I want up my game. I want a plus two thing. Mm. Uh, you know, we got the coin, we got the money and I want to, Mr. DM or Ms. DM, let's. Let's spend, I want to spend my downtime activity seeing if I can acquire my, you know, my budget goes up to, you know, 5,000 GP. So we're looking for something rare. Maybe it's even got other magical properties at this point. Yeah. Let's, let's, I want something good. As shown on the buying magic items table, which is directly below, um, the total of the check disc takes which table in the Dungeon Master's Guide to roll on to determine which items are on the market. So essentially the... I believe the higher you roll, the better quality items you're going to hopefully find. Um, uh, or you can roll for items on from any table associated with a lower total. Uh, as a further option to reflect the availability of items in your campaign, you can apply a minus 10 penalty for low magic campaigns or a plus 10 bonus for high magic campaigns. Furthermore, you can double magic item costs in low magic compa uh, campaigns. Using the magic item price table, you can then assign prices to the available items based on their uh, based on their rarity. Have the prices of any consumable items, such as a potion or scroll, when using the table to determine the an asking price. Although, you might decide to put a, perhaps a little bit of a higher bid up first, or um, perhaps even put a little bit of pressure on the players by you know introducing that someone else may be buying it, like we've sort of said before. 
You have the final say in determining which items are for sale and their final price no matter what the tables say, as is with the usual. If the characters seek a specific magic item, first decide if it's an item you want to allow in your game. If so, include the desired item among the items for sale on a check total of 10 or higher if the item is common, 15 or higher if it is uncommon, 20 or higher if it is rare, 25 or higher if it is very rare, and 30 or higher if it is legendary. Yeah. And it's, you know, Xanathar's is nice that way too, as the magic item price list is a little more variable. Uh, the DM's guide's very like, yeah. It's, you know, 5,000 for a rare and 50,000 for a very rare and 500,000 for a legendary. Whereas Anathar's is a little bit more like... 1d6 plus 1, you know. 1d6 times 100 or 2d10 times 1,000 or, you know, 2d6 times 25,000. That's sort of like range of things. Um, I mean, you still could easily get to, you know, 500,000 for a legendary item potentially. Uh, but you know what else you can build in a downtime activity for 500,000? What's that? A castle. <laughs> so you're like, hmm, legendary item or a castle for our party. Oh, man. A spell scroll to cast instant, what's it called? Magnificent mansion? Who knows? Is or what's it? Fortress? Mighty fortress? Yeah. There's spells know. that do that. It's like a real <laughs> castle. But then, of course, you've got the cost of like running it and stuff. It's, you know, castles are just like a, a hole in the ground that thing. you throw yeah, money exactly. into. Exactly. Um, but it is a lasting base. Yeah, I mean, you can build cheaper ones. They actually have a list of building stronghold prices in the DM's guide for downtime activities. Mm-hmm. You can build abbeys, guild halls, uh, keeps or small castles, noble estates uh, or manors, uh, an outpost or a fort, palace, large castle, temples, uh, fortified towers, if you're a wizard, I guess, uh, or trading posts. I mean, if you want to set up a little business shop someplace on the road <clears throat> might be fun uh, hey we haven't talked about uh the things for our religious type yeah uh, very PCs. true what, so you're uh perhaps a cleric and you're not interested in all this you know buying spending coin you want to be a little bit more devout or spend time at the temple because you know you're always adventuring you could spend a little bit more time yeah. praying well we've got the perfect downtime activity for you yes our religious service you can do religious-y service things. Characters with a religious bent religious bent, might want to spend downtime and service to a temple, either by attending rites or uh, pros- proselytizing. Proselytizing. Proselytizing in the community. Someone who undertakes this activity has a chance of winning the favor of the temple's leaders. Yeah. Uh, you know, nothing like having some favors at the old temple. <laughs> Uh, you have to sort of figure out as a DM what does that mean uh, first of all are they doing a downtime activity in a place that's got a a place of worship that's run by somebody and then it doesn't have to like in a big city this is probably very doable but maybe it's possible even in a a very small village that they have some sort of holy site or maybe a circle of stones or it could be some sort of Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, or even perhaps an underground cult. <laughs> Wait, what? No, that's another thing. Um, but the there is ways that you could, you know, your religious surface might just be helping them improve that that space, or like I said, standing and giving blessings there, or doing a ceremony spell to 
uh, consecrate the ground or I don't know. Like there's things that well, there's uh, a very visual cost to the end of it, but yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. A lot of these are up to the DM's discretion and the resolution at the end of the required time, the tire, uh, the character chooses to make either a intelligence religion or a persuasion check. The total of the check determines the benefits of the service as shown on the religious service table. It could take a work week of time, but typically involves no gold piece expenditure. Although you may have to go to a temple that aligns with your beliefs or alignment or whatever, you know, it's, uh, you can't just go like hop into any, you know, religious area, you know, if, especially if it's like some sort of death domain or grave domain thing and you're like a light domain, you might like, no, this is not really my thing, you know, Mm. not really my crowd. (laughs) Well, and, and here's, here's what the, it, the guide suggests for the DM. If their religious services worked out pretty good for them and they earn a favor the favor could also take the form of a deity's intervention such as an omen a vision or a minor miracle provided at a key moment this latter sort of favor is expended by the dm who also determines its nature Mm. but originally it's intended to be help from the the actual temple itself. Sure. This is sort of an alternative look at it, but I do agree that's a very cool idea to actually maybe even beckon the powers or, or g- gain the attention or favor of mm. your deity who can lend you a small piece of knowledge or, you know, some sort of advantage later on, you know, that's more than just um, combat I, stuff. I have a campaign setting that's got uh, a lot of temples almost everywhere. The small, they're often the very small things. And the way I would have it work is a lot of the magic items in that campaign setting have got charges to them. So even your plus one swords or things like that, um, to recharge them requires sort of religious work. And so a lot of people, even if you aren't really super religious, find themselves at temple or church or whatever, um, offering prayer and things to get their their weapons and stuff recharged mm. which is sort of a fun way to like make religion a bigger part of the game if you connect it to some other mechanic that the players really want then they have to spend more of their every time they're going mm-hmm. through a town or a village or past something like this they're taking time out to do something like that yeah which, i mean that's even a way i would permanently change the arcana arcana domain cleric subclass is changing their um, channel divinity to something like restoring charges to a magic item or you know granting someone a spell slot I think it'd be a very unique idea to the idea of like letting the like shaping or or beckoning the weave or someone a god who learns to manipulate the weave to you know give an item or people a little bit more magic juice for the day yeah that's super fun um, and to sort of think that those sorts of those sorts of clerics would be the sort of type that maybe you find at temples and things. Uh, could be a way to think, oh, I, I have a wizard who needs another slot. Uh, you know, say we don't have time for a long rest, but we do have time for a short trip to church. <laughs> and uh, yeah, a little. I mean, know, well, I think the idea is that this runs takes into weeks, the confession but... <laughs> booth, tells tells the priest about some of the bad things he's done, and the priest gives him back one spell slot. Yeah, but for the warlock, that actually expends a spell slot. So. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, a favor in broad terms is a promise of future assistance from a representative of the temple. It can be expended to ask the temple for help in dealing with a specific problem for general or political uh, or social support, or to reduce the cost of cleric spellcasting by 50%. For example, perhaps you had a friend or NPC that recently died, and you wanted to perform a resurrection ritual. I don't know, I think resurrection is around 500 GP, right? Um, and so now, 50% off on cleric spellcasting, that could include perhaps them providing some of the material components after this brilliant religious service that you performed for them over the course of a week, and you're so kind and giving. To them. And so they, of course they want to give back to you. And now your friend is back at half the gold cost, um, which I think is a, a very cool idea. Yeah. I, there's a lot of ways to tie, not just tie like, oh, what am I going to do with downtime activity? But to actually make it a a more mechanical part of your campaign, um, especially if you've got a campaign that is based, like, you know, if you're doing something like a, around Waterdeep or somewhere in the Forgotten Realms where you've got towns and things that you're going to go through all the time, it's easy, or your own homebrew setting that's above ground. This is a lot harder if you're, like, combing your way through the Underdark um, or you're, you know, traveling the plains or whatever. There's, uh, like I said, if you look through almost any of the resource guides, I had a quick look through out of the abyss. It's got a section in there about, oh, hey, downtime activity for this one is you come back and you're like, spend time warning people that the demons <laughs> are taking over the Underdark, damn it. We got to prepare for the invasion. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a funny idea, you know, being a an, an end is nigh type person. <laughs> yeah, my character's got like a sign made up and it's just like walking up and down the street for a week of downtime just trying to warn people like, the end is nigh. The blood war is coming. The blood war is coming for us all. Um, but religious Ends service getting a, And then you roll complications and they end up getting exactly. thrown in jail. Yeah. It's like, but you gotta listen to me. But Nobody wants to listen to you, bud. You just spend the rest of the week drying out down here. The complications for our religious services that we just talked about. And those also might involve arrival. Like you've offended a priest through your words or actions. Um, another temple tries to recruit you as a spy. Or um, a secret sect in the temple offer you as a membership. You know, or certain things like that. Yeah, that that's, a little now bit you're getting spice. into your like cults. Exactly. You know, you didn't know there was a, a secret There's cult always sect a of cult religion. in every town. <laughs> but perhaps you're a little bit more of a... Um, you're looking to make some gold on the side. You know, you're looking to maybe not even perhaps sell something, but instead even gain it through other means, such as pit fighting or gambling. And gambling is the way to make the most money during your time in... Yeah, because, you know, the house never the wins. ...downtime. But exactly, you're, you could lose a lot of money the, this if, way. The only true way to make money gambling is to be the casino. It's true. Or if you get two or three successes on these checks. Um, Maybe that's what you do. You roll into town and you, you set up a gambling den. Yeah. That's the business you create. Um, but games of chance are a way to make a fortune and perhaps a way, a better way to lose one. This activity requires one work week of effort plus a stake of at least 10 GP to a maximum of 1,000 GP or more as you see fit. Um, so you could even stake, you know, 10,000 GP you just made from that dragon's horde all on black <laughs> and you lost all of it and you accrue a debt equal to that amount or 
perhaps you gain a double the amount that you bet. But essentially what happens is that you make a series of checks over, you know, sort of different games during the week or how things sort of go. Um, with the, but the DC is determined at random based yeah. on the quality of the competition that uh, the character runs into. Uh, part of the risk of gambling is that one never knows who might end up be sitting across the table. But typically we're looking at like DC 5 plus 2D 10. Mm. So that's going to be in the nature of round 15 plus or minus 3 um, or 4, somewhere in there. So could get lucky could be a lot of dc 11s you've got to beat and if you've got some proficiency then yeah you'll be picking up successes uh quite easily mm. uh flips the other way around and you're especially if you're low level yeah you you might lose it but of course your amount that you'll be gambling if you're a lower level is also much less, less but um but you know like let's face it there's a lot of pcs out there who have got big gold bags and not sure quite what to spend it all on. Yeah, um, why not gamble for the thrill of it? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it, I suppose like there, there's people like the wizards in the party who are always like, there's cost of spell there's cost of spells. Um, if your DM is into potion creation or poison creation, yeah, I know you've just written up a, a huge uh, supplement on. Mm. Uh, I, I would easy, call it, well, I would easy, call it the opposite of huge. Specifically <laughs> simple. Smooth and clear supplement. Three-step uh, process huge to making poisons. Huge in its ease. Uh, but yeah, there's also uh, in Xanathar's Guide uh, a bit about crafting. Uh, mm. And yeah, the wizards are always, even if you're not really doing downtime, wizards are always spending money on components and things, right? They're often buying stuff in-game. Whereas, you know, a lot of the other classes don't have a lot to do um in that way so but there is like there is crafting opportunities here there's you know even if you just got uh like maybe a herbalism kit or leather workers tools or smith's tools you always wondered hey what can i do with that maybe make a couple healing potions or antitoxins hey if you've got smith's, armor. smith's tools yeah. and you know some downtime you know hasn't the paladin in the party always wanted full plate Boom, make them full plate. Now's maybe the time to make some nice quality full plate at a bargain price because... You're the one making it. Yeah, well, especially, you know, if you... It combines in with a few things. If, say, you made a, uh, I don't know, uh, forged domain cleric. Yeah. And you can combine your religious activity with your smith's tools <laughs> and and who knows, maybe even include <laughs> a, bit a bit of magic system. item... Uh, powwow in this too some uncommon plus one maybe on that and voila downtime activity sorted you can combine activities as well right like if you want to craft a magic item and you've got multiple spell casters working on it it divides the the, the crafting time by the number of spell casters uh, uh working together so you know an uncommon uh magic item crafting time would be two work weeks if you've got two magic users working on that you've got it down to one work week so uh you know there's there's ways to work together as a party to come up with you know a nice birthday present for the paladin yeah but come on if you were to surprise the paladin in your party with this that player would like cry at the table <laughs> uh we did something similar in eberron where uh we have a warforged uh gunslinger and we crafted him a new rifle like a team style 
and uh, and yeah, he he was very very moved. Yeah, I mean, it goes a long way to show how much you care but for that your is, fellow players. That is a game where there's four players, three of them are essentially wizards. <laughs> One's artificer, but you know. Hmm. But you're in the gambling den. You're a rogue. You don't care about making things or religious services. Those are for losers, for squares. For squares and nerds. You are making the big bucks for everybody. And you can buy everyone full play once you win this round. Yeah, sure. The house never wins. Uh, but perhaps you want to pick up a proficiency with a gaming set. But how on earth are you going to get that proficiency? Yeah. Well, so if you've gotten in gambling and you don't already have the proficiency with the, the gambling set, well, good news. You can now spend 10 weeks getting good with it. We're nearly reaching the hour mark. So we're going to speed through what work could look like. And I think we're going to wrap it up this episode. Um, but training. Uh, yeah. Given enough free time in the services of an instructor, perhaps a, a gambling like, you know, sure. master or whatever, a, a character can learn a language or pick up proficiency with a tool or gaming set, perhaps. <laughs> uh, resources. Receiving training in language or tool typically takes at least 10 work weeks or 50 days. But this time is reduced by number of work weeks equal to the uh, character's intelligence modifier. The intelligence penalty does not increase the time needed. Uh, so the perhaps you should, if you're it totally should. <laughs> you know, like, if you've got like uh, a negative, get it. if you've got a negative two intelligence modifier, you it takes two more weeks. Like, come on, I totally would add that onto the DM. No, like, that means it would take how many? Oh, so you subtract if oh, like you've right, got a positive right. run, right? Like if yeah, you've got if you intelligence right. twenty, it only takes you like five weeks. But if you've got intelligence of eight, and you got like what minus one mm -hmm. penalty on that, <laughs> it takes you eleven weeks for sure. And it's if for some reason you're time. nerfed down, if you've got intelligence of six, it takes you twelve weeks. It's just the way of the learning works. Training costs twenty five gold pieces per work week, so you might even like. Spend more money learning how to play poker yeah. than actually. And then, of course, there's training complications. Poker. So you roll on it, and suddenly your instructor disappears, forcing you to spend one Another additional week, week looking for a new one. Um, or a teacher's a spy sent to learn your plans, or uh, as a cruel taskmaster, or perhaps in the gambling case, a wanted criminal. I, I, I like the cruel taskmaster one. Like as a DM, like it doesn't really affect anything. It's just like the RP of it. You just like. You can just make like the it sound like the player's life. Everybody comes back. How was it for you? And that player's like, it was the most terrible vacation of my entire life. Or go like Mr. Miyagi with it, where he like gets him to clean his yeah. car and, and things like on that. And waxing <laughs> off, and I just don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> exactly. But then by the end of it, you gain proficiency with a new instrument, perhaps. Yeah. Or you can learn a language this way. Or language. Uh, we were looking the other day at like. And we maybe do an episode on this, but how to make the, the character with the most languages mm -hmm. possible rules as written in Linguist. the game. <laughs> and actually now looking at this, we sort of think, well, okay, rules as written by X level, how many days of downtime would we likely have had? And could that be enough to have gained us yeah. one more language? Exactly. We, I was planning on building a Earth Genasi whose name was Rosie. Uh, and she had uh, language sort of markings all across her body of all the languages that she knew, almost like little carving tattoos. Yeah, uh, Rosie, of course, like it was Rosetta um, Stone. Exactly, the Rosetta Stone, that the piece that translated, you know, certain dialects to others. That was very helpful in uh, people looking back, uh, sort of analyzing what were the differences between these languages, understanding sort of different things. But she was like a, a walking, like translation book of all these different languages and every time she learned a new one she would inscribe that whole language on her 
uh, body or just enough to, to get you know have a sort of translation exactly to thing. have a rough translation between them you know an alphabet sort type of the hundred most five. common words or something mm. um yeah so I, look there's a lot of fun things to do with downtime as a dm award your players downtime mm. give it to them the same way you give them treasure let them spend time thinking about what they want to spend their downtime at uh if you are starting characters at a higher level like level eight or something um say to them well by this point you all also have earned 10 work weeks of downtime activity to invest in something uh let them round up their characters with another little something in an there. extra little skill uh, or a little bit or more some money rules on some or tables exactly. or yeah whatever that before the campaign uh, started they, items you know, or, they didn't like start the adventure never having any downtime in their life i mean yeah. think about the 20 30 40 years before they took up adventuring maybe they had a little bit of downtime so, yeah. maybe even based on their background you could let them choose a specific thing with bonuses to the role perhaps they're a sage and so they have a little bit more research on this relevant campaign topic you know going into it or something like that you know and if you if you do start using downtime as a as another you know economy in your game, like if you're handing it out, uh, it could be handed out for inspiration. It could be handed out in a number of different ways so players track how much downtime they've earned. Yeah, or even you could have it so inspiration can be cashed in for a little bit more bang for their buck, reducing cost of. Uh, some a certain yeah, activity, or just giving them or more days, just giving, giving them, them a couple more days. They can exactly. actually get stuff done faster, essentially. Exactly, that way. you know, they cutting down the t time that it would typically take. Sure. So even though in game they might all have one week, in that one week, some of them could be spending two work weeks worth of downtime that they've earned. They can get more stuff done for whatever mm -hmm. reason. And you know what, the mechanics of time in D and D, if you're outside of initiative is very Whatever. flexible so you can do it however you want i mean you could even get to a longer period of a wizard wanting to make a whole golem using a manual of stone golems and give the right. players three years of downtime right but again this is if, if they've earned enough and they all pool their downtime or whatever you could let things that in game as rules is written that take a long freaking time to get done kind of have it get done sooner exactly. and it might be more fun at the table to expedite some of those things uh or the really risky thing to try and do as a DM to say, yeah, all right. So you guys have basically got a year now between <laughs> this and the next thing, you know, describe to me how you well, want even between to, sessions. How you know? would you, how would you spend that year? Maybe and, you know that you're going to have a month before your next session. Yes. Yeah. Like end that session. If you can saying that, all right, you've defeated the big bag bad. You have a year. Uh, the next time we meet up at this table, uh, I'm going to describe with you what you did over that year. Yeah. And you're going to text perhaps with each of those players over that concurrent month as things sort of go on about what their plan for their downtime is. And then when you finally come back to the table, you can sort of, you and that player can have like show the rest of the party what you did and come back with a, a, a ninth level spell scroll or. <laughs> yeah, or whatever it is that you've earned in that time. So yeah. A shiny new golem. <laughs> Look, this is, this stuff is. Also, perhaps if you have an idea where you're going to take the campaign next or the players want to take the campaign next, where it's sort of kind of going, uh, the downtime activity could be designed to work to build towards that. And some of the complications and things, instead of rolling them, you could sort of make those complications appear in a way that sort of leads to the hooks for the next chunk of the campaign mm -hmm. um and draws players in towards that um so yeah like use your use your storytelling powers here to connect all these dots together 
Um, but yeah, don't forget about downtime. Downtime yeah. isn't, an, uh, uh, oh, maybe I won't use it. it. Use it. It's fantastic. And it, it, it's so important to this game that it's not just in one little part of the books. It is in every single book. The reason we're, we're flipping around here and sort of jumping from bit to bit is there is so many places that this downtime stuff shows up. So dig into it. Uh, have some fun with it, make it yours, make it part of your campaign in your own way. Um, and, and make sure that the players have a chance to look at it so they can start to dream. What do I want to spend my downtime on? Because like Xanathar suggests, you know, minions love shopping. <laughs> All right. That's it for this week's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for listening and joining us. Bit of a long episode today. Get out there and fill your shopping baskets. Yeah, fill your shopping bye, baskets. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.